0: If you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to turn with me to the New Testament book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I remind you of something that Jesus famously said in his ministry. He said, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. The problem, though, with what Jesus said is what truth is he talking about? It seems today that everybody has their own truth. And if you ask somebody, what is the truth, you'll hear one thing. If you ask somebody else, what is the truth, you're likely to hear something very different. In fact, today, you can believe almost anything you choose to believe. And you can find someone who will say, that is the truth. You can find some church that will stand with you. No matter what kind of crazy belief you've embraced, some church will say, that's the truth. Some preacher, some pastor, some Bible teacher will say, that is the truth. So Jesus said the truth will set you free, but there's this great confusion about what is the truth. Churches, preachers, Bible teachers are telling us so many different things. I'll just run through a list. Uh, you can embrace an alternate lifestyle uh, somewhere on the LGBTQ spectrum. I, I can't keep up with all the initials today. You could, though, embrace one of those lifestyles, and you could find some pastor who would say that the language in the Bible just doesn't mean what it seems to mean they would say that that, too, is a truth. You could choose to embrace sexual relationships outside of marriage, and you could find some preacher who will say that the Bible just wasn't written for this culture. They would say that what you've embraced is the truth. You could divorce your spouse because you just simply fell out of love, and you could find some church that would say, God just wants you to be happy. You could believe that you are accepted by the Father, that you are a child of God simply because you are sincere in what you believe, even if what you believe disagrees with what the Bible says, and some church would affirm your belief. You could say that you are a child of God simply because you prayed a prayer when you were seven years old that has made little or no difference in your life, and some pastor would congratulate you. You could say, you could believe that abortion is more about a woman's freedom than it is the baby in the womb, and some pastor, some church would stand with you. You could construct your own religious path by taking a little bit of Christianity and a little bit of Eastern mysticism or Hinduism or Buddhism, and you could come up with your own way to God, and some church would agree with you. This is a messed up world. Jesus said the truth will set you free, but there's this great confusion about what is the truth. And I want you to know that this isn't something that's new to us today. But this confusion about the truth, this has been a problem since the beginning. In fact, let me just read a couple of verses. We'll get to 2 Timothy in just a moment. But Jesus said, Matthew 7, 15, be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Even in Jesus's day, there were false teachers, false prophets. There was confusion about the truth. And then I think about Peter, the Apostle Peter, 2 Peter 2.1, there were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. This confusion about the truth goes all the way back to the beginning. And so today we will continue our focus, our summer focus on the book of 2 Timothy. I can't wait to share with you all that 2 Timothy teaches. It'll take us the entire summer to get through this. But today we come to a section where where the Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, who is the pastor of the church of Ephesus, shares with him, teaches him the source of truth. How can we know what the truth really is? Where do we go to find the truth? How can I know that what I call the truth is really the truth? Paul helps Timothy answer these questions, and that's where we will focus today. Last week we were in... 2 Timothy 1, verses 1 through 12. Today, we'll pick up right there with verse 13, and we'll just look today at one verse, one verse, but it's such an important verse, I want us to spend time on it this morning. Notice the scripture says, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice that there are three important parts to that verse. He begins by saying, hold on to the pattern. He tells Timothy that that you should hold on, that you should embrace, that you should cling to this pattern. We'll see what that means in a moment. And then another important thing, he says, the pattern of sound teaching. What is sound teaching? What is the truth that he's talking about? And then finally, I want you to see the phrase that, It's easy for us just to skip over, but I think it's the heart of this verse. He says, that you have heard from me. Which teaching, which sound teaching should he embrace? The one that you have heard from me. Timothy, as the pastor of the church of Ephesus, he had been struggling with these false teachers. He had been battling with false teachers from the beginning of his ministry there. You could go back to 1 Timothy chapter... Well, chapter 4, so this would have been a few years prior to 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says, Now the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. And he goes through and gives some details. Paul's been, or rather, Timothy's been dealing with these false teachers a long time. If you, if you just turn over maybe to the next page, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3, if anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching, there's that phrase again, the sound teaching that we saw in 2 Timothy 1.13, but if anyone does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, And again, he goes on to give some details. This is a a problem that Timothy dealt with in the church of Ephesus over and over and over. And so so Paul here in 2 Timothy says, let me give you the final word. Hold on to the sound teaching that you have received from me. Let's look at that, that statement, that sentence, because there's some important things we need to learn that'll help us to deal with the question, what is the truth? Where does the truth come from? So the first thing I want you to see is that the truth, the Word of God, is firmly established. The Word of God is established. Now, we're going to spend all of our time in verse 13. Hold your finger there. Notice it again. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me. So what teaching does Paul want Timothy to hold on to? What truth is he to stake his life upon? Well, Paul says specifically, it's the truth that you have heard from me. He doesn't say, Timothy, in your heart, see if you can figure out the truth. He doesn't say, Timothy, see if you can reason up some sort of truth. See what seems right to you. No, he says the truth that you're to embrace is the truth that came from me. He says, the source, Timothy, of your truth is me, the Apostle Paul. Now, we'll see in a moment exactly what that means, but before we get to that, let me me show you the things that he didn't say to turn to for truth. First of all, he didn't say that truth is established by what seems right. See, so many people today think that whatever you can reason in your minds, whatever just seems right to you, that's the truth. The Bible never says that. In fact, it says something very different. Proverbs 14, 12 says there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. There's a way that seems right to you, but it's wrong, and it'll lead you to death. The Bible says in Proverbs twelve fifteen, a fool's way is right in his own eyes. Have you ever... Do you know somebody, maybe is a better way of saying it, do you know somebody that on some issue they just absolutely, completely disagree with you? And you've wondered how could they, a smart person, maybe an educated person, how could they have such a different point of view than what you have? Because you've thought through your point of view, you assume they've thought through their point of view, how could those views be different? Well. As long as your source of truth is what seems right to you, it's easy for you to convince yourself that what you believe is the truth. But the source of truth is not what I convince myself of. The source of truth, real truth, is not what I reason in my heart. We also see that truth does not come from what feels right. Truth doesn't come from what seems right. I've I've thought about it but it also doesn't come necessarily from what feels right. Oftentimes people will say, this has got to be the truth, it just feels right. I should do this because it just feels like the right thing to do. Maybe they can't explain with reasoning how they arrived at that. It's just what feels right to them. Listen, church, we can't turn to our feelings to determine what is the truth. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? Our hearts will take us in all kinds of different directions. We can't turn to our hearts for the truth. How many people have ruined their lives because they just follow their hearts? Follow their hearts. Another place we do not turn for the truth is the view of the majority I think this is probably one of the most common ways we determine truth today is we just see what everybody else thinks. And if everybody else thinks it's okay, if everybody else thinks this is right or this is wrong or this is the path that I should take, then, then well, how could the crowd be wrong? And we allow truth to be determined by just what everybody else thinks around us. The Bible never gives the majority the the privilege of determining the truth. Truth comes from the Lord. But there's a fourth false place people turn for the truth. Some people will turn to those who are powerful or those who are educated. Listen, I'm thankful for our government. I'm thankful for those who are experts in all kinds of different fields and the ways that they protect us can contribute to our safety But the government does not determine what is right and wrong. And some expert in some field does not determine what is right and wrong. God determines what is right and wrong. And we can't turn to the government for that. We can't turn to some expert. Just because somebody has some degrees, just because somebody has some letters at the end of their name does not mean that they get to pick what's right and what's wrong. That's not the source, not the source of truth. So what is the truth? How do we get the truth? Well, he says here very plainly, this is is simple today, but very plainly he says in verse 13, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me. Now listen to this. This is the most important thing I'll say today. Truth comes by revelation. Now listen, listen, I want you to understand this. What does it mean that truth comes by revelation? Well, Paul told Timothy You don't figure out your own truth. You don't pull the people to determine the truth. You don't see what just just feels right to you. No, the place, Timothy, you get the truth is you listen to me. You listen to Paul. The truth that you're to hold on to, the truth that you're to teach, Timothy, is the truth that you've received from Paul. Now, where did Paul get that truth? Paul got it from the Lord. The way God has has designed that we would know the truth is that he would reveal it to us. That he would reveal to us what's right and wrong. That he would reveal to us how we can have a right relationship with the Father. Truth is by revelation. Now, let me just give you uh, some references. We could spend more time on this than we will, but, but I want you to at least understand the outline. Ephesians 3.3 three. 3 Paul writes, the mystery was made known to me by revelation. How did Paul get the truth? Paul was one of those very few people chosen by God in his wisdom, led by the Holy Spirit to record the thoughts of God and the scriptures that we have. Paul recorded scripture. Peter recorded scripture. James recorded scripture. We have these these verses, this scripture that we hold in our hands that has come from these apostles, that has come from these men that God has chosen to record his words. It was revealed from God to man, written down, and here it is. Listen to how Peter explains it. 2 Peter 1.20, he says, Above all, you know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Peter said this isn't something that the apostles that we have just dreamed up. This came to us from God through the Holy Spirit. He goes on in that that passage and he says, "Instead, Instead of it coming from us, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. How do we know truth? Where does truth come from? What's its source? It's by revelation. And so Paul tells Timothy, you're to stand for the truth. Which truth? The truth that you have heard from me. Not that you read in some some book that's uh, published there in Ephesus. Not something you saw on television. Not what the majority of the people believe. Not even, Timothy, what seems right to you, but the truth that has been revealed. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament is in a book that we hardly ever talk about, uh, but it's important, the book of Jude. Do you know the book of Jude, a tiny little book near the end of your Bible? In Jude, there's only one chapter, so it sounds funny even to call the reference. Jude 3, Jude verse 3, says this, Contend for the faith. You see it there on the screen. I'm reading just the last part of that. Contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints, once for all God gave to these apostles his truth his word and they wrote it down and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit it is recorded for us and it has been preserved for us through the years this is the truth once for all delivered to the saints God's word is established it's not up for debate It's not up for modification. There won't be a sequel. There won't be an update. It can't be voted on. It can't be voted against. It will not change with our culture. It will not bend to our sinful desires. The Word of God is established. Now, what's some practical importance to that? Maybe, you know, certainly, Pastor, I agree with that. But how does that that impact or intersect with my life? Well, when making decisions in life, when we're trying to decide if we're going to go down this path or this path, when we try to decide how we're going to design our marriages and our relationships, we shouldn't look to our hearts. We shouldn't look first to our reasoning. We should look first to the Word of God. That's the source of truth. Too many times today we'll tell people to just close your eyes eyes, and get really quiet, and then just imagine that God were to speak to you, and you just do that. What's the problem with that, church? What's the problem with that? Well, that's, that's not how God has designed that we would receive the truth. Now, certainly, God leads me and the Holy Spirit guides me, absolutely. But the truth, the the source, the reliable, infallible truth is the revealed truth that comes from God. You want to know what you should do? Don't close your eyes and imagine. Open your eyes and read. This is the source of truth. It is firmly established. Now, quickly, number two, the Word of God is firm. It is firm. So Look back at verse 13. He says, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching. Now, what is this sound teaching? Well, he doesn't really define it there in verse 13. It's just, it just says sound teaching. There's no description. So how can we determine what that means? Well, as it turns out, uh, Paul uses that same phrase a number of times when he's talking to Timothy. Another, a number of other places here in 1 and 2 Timothy, he uses that phrase, and we can see more clearly from those other instances exactly what Paul means. So I'm turning back to just one page in my Bible, 1 Timothy 6, three. I think I read this a moment ago, but we'll read it more slowly now. He says, if anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ with the teaching that promotes godliness, here we see that sound teaching, the opposite of it is this false doctrine. This, uh, uh, this teaching that would be contrary to God's word. Now he says one more thing here. He says that sound teaching promotes godliness. Sound teaching is, uh, is, is teaching that, that lines up with God's word, and it leads people to live lives that honor the Lord. In fact, if you, I wasn't going to point this out just for time purposes, but, but I want you to see it. Look all the way down to the end of verse five, if you have your Bible open. He's describing in verses four and five what this false teaching is. And he sums it up right at the end of verse five. He says, who, speaking of these false teachers, who imagine that godliness is a way for material gain? So these these preachers that are teaching sound teaching, sound doctrine, they're teaching God's word such that it leads people to live lives of godliness, he says, that bring honor and glory to God. But a false teacher, how do you know a false teacher? A false teacher might have a Bible, might even read from it and and seem to teach from it. But his teachings, her teachings would would lead someone to, as he says here, uh, material gain. See, see that there, there are people who call themselves Bible teachers today, and every message you hear is about how this, how this book will make you happier and how it will make life easier and how it will take all your problems away and how it will make you wealthy and how it will how it'll heal you of diseases. Now, God certainly can do whatever God wants to do, and God honors and blesses the obedience and the prayers of his people, no question about that. But he says here that sound teaching leads to godliness... False teaching advertises personal benefit and material gain, and that's not the point of Scripture. So we're trying to figure out what sound teaching is, though, here, and we see that it is is the opposite of false teaching. Now, turn a couple of pages to the right. We're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We'll read a couple of verses here, 2 Timothy 4, 2. He's going to use that same phrase, sound teaching. He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. So he's telling Timothy, here's how to be a pastor. Here's what you should do. Preach, preach, preach. And then verse three, he describes that preaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine or sound teaching. That's that same phrase we're looking for but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. So sound teaching doesn't necessarily scratch an itch, but false teaching is designed to scratch an itch. It's designed to make you feel better. And then verse four, they will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. Uh, Speaks of the popularity of false teaching and Later days and the days that we live in today, when Paul tells Timothy, right here in Second Timothy one, that he should embrace sound teaching, he's talking about the fact that the word of God is firm. It doesn't change based on what uh, what, what what would uh, please people. It doesn't change based on the demands of a popular crowd. It is firm. It is reliable. It is unchanging. It is firm. We must not vary our teaching uh, to scratch an itch. We must not vary, we must not change our beliefs to be more in line with our culture. We must not seek to change truth just to make it better fit people's convenient lives. He says here to Timothy, you need to know the truth that comes from me. It's established because it's been revealed by God but then you need to hold it as sound teaching, firm, not that is, uh, is changing by the desires of the people, but that is the firm, sound, solid teaching that comes from the Lord. And then the third, the third thing, where this is the truth about the truth. So the third thing you need to know is the Word of God is essential. It's essential. So look back at verse 13, 2 Timothy 1.13, and now that very first phrase hold on. It's a command. Timothy, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching. Paul reminds Timothy of the value of God's Word. It should be held on to. This, this is the picture of grabbing hold of something and, and, and holding on to it no matter what happens, no matter how big the fight is, no matter how difficult the challenge is. Hold on to something because it's valuable. He tells Timothy, Hold on. Grab hold. Don't let go. No matter the cost, hold on to the Word of, of God. Be committed to it. Value it. I, I do want to show you an, an, one more verse, and we'll quit turning perhaps in a minute, but 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll spend more time on this verse as we work our way this summer through 2 Timothy, but notice 2 Timothy 3:16, 16, 16 and 17. He says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Uh, Verse 17, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There's much to say about those two verses, and we'll get to it uh, if the Lord allows in the days to come and the weeks to come. But I want you to see just one word. It's the word profitable. Do you see it in verse 16? See if you can pick it out. All Scripture is inspired by God. That means God has breathed it out. It came from God. In the original, it actually says expired by God. It's breathed out by God. All Scripture comes from the Lord. It's revealed from the Lord. And it is profitable. It's profitable. See, the Word of God is essential. We must have the word of God in order that we'll know how to live, so we'll know how to have marriages, so we'll know how to raise godly children, so we'll know how to bring honor and glory to God, so we'll know how to serve God, we'll know where to stand, that it's profitable for us. Listen to how the Old Testament says it, Psalm 19, 10 and 11 Uh, They are more, speaking of God's words, it is more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold and sweeter than honey dripping from the honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them, there is an abundant reward, he says. God's word is essential, and it is valuable. Why does he say hold to the pattern? Timothy, hold on, desperately grab hold and don't let go of God's word because he knew that God's word was valuable, it was helpful, it was profitable. It's essential, essential. But years ago, uh, ships, uh, ocean-going ships would, would have one instrument that was more important than any other instrument. It was, it was their compass, because in a storm, and the winds, with no landmarks, unable to see the stars or maybe even the horizon, the one thing that they could depend upon was the compass. I uh, was able to take my wife on a cruise uh, recently to celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary. And uh, on the cruise, I uh, figured a way to go to the what do you call it? The bridge, wherever they drive the ship from. I, I don't even know what it's called. But I, I went to the bridge and, and had somebody show me around. I, I took pictures of everything. I, I, they were glad for me to leave when I, when I finally left. But all kind of uh, this, you know, high-tech ship and all kinds of computers. And, and uh, it was fascinating. But still, all that fancy equipment, you know what they had in the bridge or whatever it's called? They had a pole about that high and on the top of that pole there was a compass. Because if everything else fails, the compass will not fail and it will point you in the right direction. God's given us minds. Our minds can serve us well. He's, he's, He's given us hearts and he sanctifies our hearts. Our hearts can serve us well. But in the storms of life when the when the winds are blowing, when times are hard, when, when our sinful natures are tugging on us one direction or the other, when, when people are trying to get us to do something one direction or the other, you can't rely on your heart. You can't rely on your reasoning. You can't rely all the time on the people around you. You have to have a compass you can go to that will settle it. And that compass, what Paul tells Timothy, that compass is the revealed Word of God. And in a a day when false teaching, when uh, uh, when an inadequate understanding of the source of truth is more common than ever, we need to be reminded that the Word of God is our infallible compass. Years ago, I was a youth minister, and I spoke at youth camps, uh, this was uh, back in the black and white TV days, so a long time ago. Uh, but one of, the th- one of the things I would do, I would teach, uh, not from this scripture passage, but I would teach the importance of God's word, that, that truth is revealed. That was uh, something I would often teach on. And, and so I, would, I had an illustration I used uh, probably every time I taught on this. I bet I've used this illustration a dozen times or more. Uh, there would be, be a, a crowd of uh, students and I would invite three volunteers to come up on the platform. Always easy to get students to volunteer. And so the three students would stand up there, and, and I would hand them a mic and, and ask them to pick the person in the, in the crowd that they trusted the most. And so each one would pick their, you know, a friend or sometimes even a, a, a youth leader or somebody, somebody that they would really trusted. And so we'd bring those three up. And so then we would take the first three and we would blindfold them. And we had a little obstacle course that we would set up then very quickly on the platform, uh, some, uh, some movable walls and some buckets of water and different things. And the, the, the blindfolded student would be led, and we timed them, it was a race, so you had to go as fast as you could. The, the blindfolded student would be led through the obstacle course by the words of their most trusted friends. Now, you didn't have to set this up ahead of time. It just always happened this way. The trusted friends turned out to be, you know what I'm going to say, right? Not so trustworthy, right? And they've got their friend blindfolded in front of all these uh, kids. They would torture them and they they would make them run into walls and step into buckets of water. I mean, every single time, I don't think it's ever happened differently than that uh, the person would lead them astray, and it'd be hilarious, and everybody would laugh. And so we go through that. It'd take 15 or 20 minutes, and we have everybody seated again. And, and and I would point out a couple of truths. First of all, we're all blindfolded. As we live our lives, none of us know what's going to happen tomorrow, do we? None of us know what our health is going to be. None of us know what the coronavirus is going to is going to do. What's going to be open? What's going to be closed? or we? We just don't know. We, we don't know what our job situations are going to be like. And, and this, this uncertainty is not something that COVID-19 has brought to us. It maybe has highlighted it. But none of us know. None of us know tomorrow. None of us know the temptations that will come in our lives tomorrow or next week. Temptations that we've never faced before, maybe stronger than we've ever faced, that could, that could derail our, our lives or our marriages or our ministries. None of us know. None of us. None of us we just don't know anything. We're walking through this life blindfolded. second thing that we learn is that the people or the things that we think are most trustworthy, when it comes right down to it, are not nearly as trustworthy as we thought they were. And maybe the people around you or or society or culture or your heart, maybe it will not intentionally mislead you like those friends misled their buddies, uh, but you can't count on those things. The only thing you can count on is the revealed Word of God. If you want to have a godly marriage, you've got to count on this. If you want to raise godly children, I'm telling you there are a lot of parenting books. There's a great deal of advice you can receive, and some of it helpful perhaps, but you've got to turn to the Word of God. If you want peace instead of anxiety, if you want joy instead of depression, if Whatever, whatever good you want in life, if you want to accomplish something and bring honor and glory to the Lord, it's the Bible. It's the revealed Word of God that will lead you in the directions that you should go. Just so your head bowed and eyes closed, I want to extend an invitation a little different way today. We have, um, we have gone through, I think, eight weeks of online-only services, we have uh, we've been counseling as ministers we've been counseling with a great number of people in our church and our community probably more than we have since I've been here anyway i know that there are a lot of people that are hurting and we've got ministers today that would like just to sit down with you for 2 or 3 minutes and just pray with you if you're hurting if you're scared if you're frustrated if you're angry and of course today we'd, we'd love to see you come and pray, trust Christ for your salvation, your forgiveness for sins. Our invitation's always open to that. And we invite you to come in just a moment and say, hey, today I need to trust Christ. That's our only hope. But maybe today there are some who know Christ but you're just struggling. I want to invite you to come down as well. And uh, We'll have some ministers here at the front and they'll just take your hand and they'll, they'll lead you to a, a space we have outside of the sanctuary, socially distanced. All those things will happen. And they just spend a few minutes praying with you and praying for you. Would you, uh, if you have that need, would you let us minister to you? Let your church, your ministers, your pastors, just let us lead you in that way today. Father, I pray. Thankful heart, thankful heart, thankful heart for the word of God, the revealed truth that we can count upon, one of the greatest gifts you've given to us. But Father, I just pray as well for the hurts and the hearts of our people struggling with uncertainty or fear with job or family or health. Father, I, I want our church to be an encouragement to those. And I pray right now that those who most badly need some encouragement would step forward as we sing and let us us spend a moment praying for them. Father, may you be honored in our service and our lives as we lean upon the compass, the word of God that has been revealed from you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.